Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Good stuff, beautiful things. What's God doing in your life? You ever ask that when you see someone getting prayed for, something going on? Like, uh, Lord's doing something in their life. That's pretty great. Wonder what that'll mean, what kind of changes that'll be for us. God, what are you doing in my life? I would encourage you to ask that question. Bring it before the Lord. Say, Lord, what about me? What are you doing in my life? Here I am. Place me somewhere. Commission me afresh to be effective. I've only got one life. Let's make it count, right? Amen. Amen. So I forgot my sermon notes. Otherwise, I'll just start talking about whatever comes to mind. This morning, I'm very excited to just say and announce and kind of get going on a new sermon series that we're going to be preaching for the next eight weeks, right up until about Thanksgiving. And so the sermon series is called this, The Heart of God. And the idea for us this morning and for the next eight weeks is to explore and pursue and ask the question, God, what is on your heart? What is the heart of God? I loved how some of those songs were saying this morning, like, Lord, I want to know your heart. If someone came up to you and basically said, hey, by the way, what's the heart of God? What's the heart of God? Would you have a ready and fresh answer for them? I mean, think about that for a minute. Just on your notepads, did everyone get one of these? These were... um, purchased, designed, and stickered for your benefit so that you could take notes for the next eight weeks on the heart of God. And so if you don't have one of these, feel free to raise your hand. There's some people in the back that would be glad to run out and grab one, and there they come. Look at them. Welcome them as they come. There's even a living word pen on there. Bonus. Hey, Joshua, come over on the wing, would you? There's a couple on the wing. And so we want to explore and to know, God, what is your heart? What is your heart? You know, I was, um, I was at a funeral several years back uh, for an older man. And after the funeral, I spoke to this man's grandson. And this grandson was so just, he was emotional. He was so stirred. And he says, I just, I just want to be like my grandpa. I just want, and his grandpa was a great man. But he says to me, I just I really, I wish I could be like my grandpa. And so he asked me, he says, would you pray for me that somehow I could be like my grandpa? Isn't that great? I remember a time in my own life when I was a, I was a college student and I was working in a Christian ministry and the leader of that ministry was a mentor to me. And he was just dynamic. I loved the way he ministered. I loved the way he dealt with people. He was just so like, I just, I wanted to be like him. And I remember one time, towards the end of my senior year, he was asking me, David, what are you going to do? Where's, where's life taking you? Where's God taking you? And I remember breaking down in his office. I was breaking down. And I, just, I said, I just, I just want to be able to do what you do. I so love and admire the way you minister to people and lead and all that stuff. And he just, he smiled and through my sniffles, he said, David, don't worry. God will make you even more. I don't know that that's going to happen, but 
I know this, that those things that we look to, that we tether ourselves to, Scripture says that hope is like an anchor for our soul. The things that we anchor ourselves to, those are things that draw us forward. And through the course of this, I want you to anchor yourself, to tether yourself afresh to the heart of God. And so we want to talk about what is the heart of God. Have you ever been tethered to anything, like attached? I don't know. I was thinking, when, uh, when we used to do our family bike rides, we would ride around the neighborhood, and there's some pretty good hills on the neighborhood, and so my littlest one would wear out going up the hills. She would just kind of just not be able to quite make it up. So I would have this thing. I would always make sure I had my belt because I'd take off my belt, not to whip her, but I would I'd say, get going up the hill. No, I wouldn't do that. It's terrible parenting. I would take the belt, and I would loop it around the handlebars, the gooseneck of her bike. And then as I went up the hill, I would pull her along, right? So then she gets to the truck. Now, I'm trusting that at some point when it's reversed and I'm too old to get up the hill, she'll pull me up the hill. We'll see. Time will tell on that. You're awesome. Thank you. That was absolutely going to happen. So let's pray. And let's commit ourselves, let's commit these next weeks to say, Lord, show us your heart, tether us to your heart, and help us to live the very heart of God. Do you want to do that? I do. Stand with me. Let's, 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 let's be serious. We're just going to stand and before the Lord. We're going to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for just who you are. This morning specifically, we thank you for your steadfast love, that you are a God who loves. Lord, I pray that, God, as we go through this series, we look at your word, God, that we would tether our hearts to yours, that, Lord, our lives would be shaped and formed, and they would reflect and imitate the things that are on your heart, the way in which you conduct yourselves, yourself. So, Lord, we, we ask you at the very, very beginning here, we cry out to you, Lord, Shape us, tether us, form in us, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, the very first topic in our series is going to be talking about God's steadfast love. Now, as I was going through and I was pulling an input as we, as a team, kind of looked at what is the heart of God and what do we want to preach on, the first and most profound thing of all of it was the love of God, the steadfast, as the scriptures call it, love of God. And then I started like saying, I'm going to do, do the first one on the steadfast love of God. And I thought, well, everyone knows about the love of God, right? We talk about the love of God all the time. Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so, right? We, we talk and we know about the love of God. But even with the most simple things, we can get a little bit confused. And so Here's an example of a young man trying to count how many licks to the center of a Tootsie Pop. And even in the most simple of functions, one can get confused. (laughs) Poor guy. He got up to 193 licks until he licked the marker. 
And I just think for us, as we talk about and think about the love of God, what does it really mean that God loves us, that God is love? We can, like, be doing great, cruising through life, and still, even still, get that confused. Somehow miss some of the most fundamental and profoundly life-changing truths about the love of God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about a couple of them. The first one I'll read to you is this, and maybe it's what came right to your mind. It's from 1 John 4, 7 through 11. The scripture says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen, it sounds so simple, but buried right in the middle of all those things is this one profound truth that God is the source of all love. Love, true love, does not exist outside of God. There are imitations, there are human versions, but true and right and real love, the love that we are meant to know and live in, only comes from God. We'll say it this way. If you want something, you must go to the source. So for instance, if you want some amazing fish and chips, where would you go? To Denny's? I think not. Would you go like to some American pub? Probably not. You would go to the northeast coast of England to a little town called Filey, and there you would find the most amazing fish and chips ever served. And there you'll see a before and after photo. And there you see one of the great fish and chip men of all time, my father-in-law, Norman. Everyone say hi, Norman. We're standing next to a weird statue of a guy holding a fish in a raincoat, which is pretty much a perfect picture of what happens in Filey. You go to the source. You go to where it's really done. If you want blues and barbecue, where do you go? Yeah, in New Orleans, you go to Beale Street, or you go somewhere where the real thing exists. Listen, when it comes to knowing the heart of God and the steadfast love of God, you can accept no substitute. So you need to understand that this, that the only source of real love is God. And you cannot rightly understand love by looking at people. Because let's be honest, chances are you have been loved poorly by someone, right? Someone who said they would love you forever and that they would put you first and they were committed and they just walked away. Maybe it was a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance. Maybe it was your parents or a sibling. Somebody no question about it, has loved you poorly. And our normal mentality is then to adjust our understanding of what love is and what love should be by what we've experienced. And we bring the lowest common denominator of love and we say, this is what love is. And we see the sexuality and sensuality of love in the songs, in the movies, and all of the different things that happen in life. And we think somehow this is what God means when it says God is love. 
And I can't vouch for all those programs and all those songs. But every once in a while, I put on, like, popular radio, and I, I listen to pop music, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Love is so convoluted in our world, it's hard to even think of what it really means to love someone. It's either reduced to sex or infatuation or enjoyment for a time. But listen, those are deceptions when it comes to what it means when the Bible says that God is love. Let me just show you a little bit from the Old Testament. From the very beginning, we see this. Exodus, verse 34. This is, this is where the Ten Commandments are about to happen. If you read the story, God calls the people out to himself. He delivers them from slavery. He feeds them. He's caring for them. God is drawing to himself a people that he can just say, these are my people and I'll be their God. And God is trying to engage with humanity and bring the redemptive purposes so that we wouldn't be far from God. We could be near to God. And so he takes the first stab at it. Moses goes up the mountain, right, to get the Ten Commandments. And they're about to enter into this covenant, this binding, lasting promise of an agreement of what it means for God and people to have a relationship. And the first time up the mountain, God brings the Ten Commandments, comes down. By the time Moses gets down from the mountain, the people are worshiping to some foreign God they made in the fire. Moses gets really angry, and he throws the Ten Commandments down. They break, and he's this giant fit, and God's ready to be like, what's going on? How can this fail so quickly? So God calls Moses up a second time. And Moses has these two stone tablets with nothing written on them. Let's read Exodus 34. It says this, So Moses cut two tablets from stone like the first that he had broken. And he rose early in the morning, and he went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. And he took his hand, in his hand, the two tablets of stone. So let's just, just a quick reminder. The tablets of stone will have the commands of God, the Ten Commandments, from which all the different commands of God will, will be kind of editorialized and applied to God's people. And so, but they're blank. He just has the stone tablets in his hand. Verse 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, his own name. He says, The Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for thousands, as if thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will be by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for we are a stiff-necked people, and please pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And I just want to make this very profound but basic point. Here where God is beginning to engage and make a covenant with God's people. And they've already failed. They've already made the golden calf. They've already grumbled and complained. It's, it's obviously not going to be an easy relationship for God. And Moses brings up the tablets. And before 
a command is ever written, God declares his steadfast love. Before there was ever an obedience, before there was ever anything that God needed from you, he declares his love first. Now, once he declares his love, and I love the way it says, it says, and you know what? My steadfast love for thousands of generations, but you can't mess me around. To the guilty, to those who do not want to be a part of this relationship, I'll hold you accountable. It's not like some sloppy agape love where you like do whatever you want. It's like, no, we're coming into a relationship. But before the relationship was ever established, he declares his steadfast love. Over and over, generation after generation, for you, day in, day out, week in, week out, God continues to declare his unchanging, faithful love in your life before he makes one command. I think some people live very much a command-orientated relationship with God. Like their first thought is that God commands me. God insists that I, that God will judge me, that God will somehow, he's looking for whether I make it or not. We have a command mentality when it comes to our relationship with God. And it's false. It's so false. And I don't know where it comes from. If it's some bad preaching, bad religion, or or just your own way of thinking, or the way your parent treated you, or I don't know where it comes from. But this whole idea of command-oriented relationship with God is so false and so non-biblical. The commands do come, and the relationship, of course, has expectations. Even as we have expectations on God, he certainly has expectations in us that this relationship might be a two-way thing. That he is our God and we are his people. But the whole thing, before a, a word was etched in the stones, God declares his unfailing, steadfast love for thousands of years. When you think about the heart of God, that God is love, He just is so not like all the other versions, the man-made, media-made, homemade versions of love that exist in the world. And that our relationship with God must be built on a firm foundation, understanding, say, God's heart for me is love. He loves me. Before he made a command, he loves me. And even as he wrote the commands, he says, I'll help you. I love you. I will see you through. Have you ever known a love like that? I love how Romans 8, 38 says it. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor light nor angels nor demons or present or future or powers, height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you think for Christians that if someone dies, even if they die young and tragically, that somehow there's a separation of God's love? Quite the contrary. Even the most tragic situations that we face, even death, are built on the foundations of God's steadfast love. For those who die are caught up in his love to be with him forever. And those who are left remaining, we live in hope, believing that God is faithful to the dead 
and the living. And to those of us who have lost people that are dear to us, sometimes we lick the marker, you know? Sometimes we lick the marker. We're like, man, I was doing so good in life. And then this thing hit me. And I'm like, oh, God, where is your love? Why are you there? I love how Psalm 31 says it. Corey read it in chapel at Visible this week. Psalm, Psalm 31, 21, it says this. It's not on the slide. You can make a note in your nifty little book. It says this. For the Lord showed me his love when I was in a city that was under siege. Oh, I just love that. Here is David, King David, and he's defending the, the nation. He's got a responsibility for the whole country, and suddenly he becomes under siege. Not with emotions and sentiments, but with swords and spears and catapults and angry people. And in the midst of this, he is worried, he is anxious. He's crying out to God, Lord, why is this going on? What do I do? He doesn't know what to do. And he says, in the midst of my trauma, in the midst of this siege, the Lord showed me his love. How many in the midst of just really tragic situations have you found the Lord's love afresh? I don't think I even knew how much God loved me until my life went sideways. I don't, I don't think I could even grasp or, or fathom the steadfast love of my Heavenly Father except for all of my mistakes and failures and sin. I think it's in those places, those horrible, beautiful, profound places that we really see what God's love is. It's like a friend who, when everyone else has forsaken you, shows up. It's like when you don't know what to do and someone comes around and says, I got you. They're reflecting. They're living out in some small way the steadfast love of our Heavenly Father. Amen? I want to end with this. The third part of just the steadfast love is how God's love is redeeming. And it's transforming. God's love does not leave us as we are. That there is so much to God's love that says, I love you so much. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you to sin or to your own devices. But my love will redeem and transform you. The Bible says to one degree, to the next, to the next. That God's love is always at work in us to see us changed and transformed to be more like Christ, to be more like who we're meant to be. Let's read this scripture, Psalm 51. It's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in with, slept with, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm 51.1 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. God's love is redeeming in that this, is that when he remembers us, he remembers his love, not our sin. That when God thinks of us and remembers us, and as we cry out to God, he is remembering his love for you, not your sin. 
Now understand the posture of David. He is on his face. He's saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out or forget my sins. I, I, I think the reason that that little heading on Psalm 51 is in there, it says when Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted him on his sin. The exposing and the confronting of our sin is just as loving as the forgiving and the forgetting of our sin. How many people love to see their sin forgiven? Anybody? How many people love to see their sin exposed? Come on, put them up. But that's the thing. The exposing of our sin and the forgiving and forgetting of our sin are acts of love for God to restore us to where we need to be. Because it's only many verses later when David says, created me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. God's love redeems, sets us back where we belong. Sometimes it's by exposing our sin and sometimes and always when we come to him like this and ask for mercy, it's forgiving and forgetting our sins. I like how uh, Ephesians 1, 5 says it as well. It says that he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. You know what this means? This means that he thought about us ahead of time and determined because he loved us that he would call us to himself. When I used to get cards for my wife, it was very important when I got the card. Sometimes it mattered if I got the card, but it always mattered when. So if I got the card a day before the birthday, it was okay but I certainly didn't think ahead. There were moments when I got the card the day of, and it was a killer card, but it didn't do the job. There was no forethought in it. I started thinking, if I really want to bless her with a card, I've got to buy this card like a year ahead of time. So I, I started thinking, I should just tape the receipt to the back. It'll have the date on it, and I'll say, this is how much I love you. I bought this a month ago. And that's a long time for me. Maybe you're like that, maybe you're not. But in Scripture we see this. God thought of you a long time ago. With joy and delight, he made a decision in love to redeem you. This is not the kind of love you find on many shows, in many songs. This is not the kind of love you see played out in many lives, many marriages, many families. This is not the kind of love that you see friendships being built on so many times, I wish it were. That people decide ahead of time, in spite of your failings, to say, I'm with you to the very end. You do see it in Captain America. Get that great line. I'm with you to the end of the line. But there's something about the love of God that we have to understand, the heart of God, to say the unconditional, faithful, redeeming, profound, and powerful way in which he loves us.
Let's go back to the beginning, to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, it says this. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That'll take me into the application. So knowing God's love is a pursuit that we must give ourselves wholeheartedly to. But there's another one that goes with it, and it's walking in God's love. What does it mean to walk in God's steadfast love? Well, first of all, it means this. It's to know that you are profoundly, unconditionally loved and forgiven by God, who is the very source and author of true love. Do you believe that? Do you celebrate that in your heart? Do you live that out? You know, if you live like you're loved like that, people that live like they're loved, I mean, they're different types of people. For the insecurities and all the aggravations in life, they react differently. They're just not bothered by so much of the small stuff because all is, in fact, small, except but the love of God. If you live like you're loved, oh my goodness. That person is a joy and a blessing. You know why? Because they were built to be loved. We are built to be loved like that. And because we don't do it to one another well, we need to look to God, who's the author of love. And secondly, this, that we're to live a gracious, resilient, and forgiving love. Listen, if you want to tether your heart to the love of God, you must then begin to act like God. You must begin to be filled and to be poured out in this incredibly profound love that comes from heaven. The world has no answer to so many of its problems except the love of God. Your life has no answers to so many of your problems except that you live in the love of God. I want to show you a couple of pictures of how God loved you. Look at that adorable little baby in the hay. The incarnation itself, that God humbled himself, clothed himself in flesh, and became a baby, a human being, is a profound identification that God wants to be connected, and he came and pursued you. This was an act of love. Look at Jesus there, teaching and healing. I looked for one of him smiling. I didn't find one of him smiling. But Jesus lived a life, and he lived life to the full. He loved people. He grieved. He cried. He sacrificed. He enjoyed the blessing of abundance that people were giving to him. And he taught us what was important in life. And he taught us what was not important in life. The book that we towed around to church and back and sits in your I don't know if it sits in your bed. Do you have to dust it off every Sunday? Nowadays, we don't even have to bring our Bibles. We have our, our phones, which we would never let get dusty. <laughs> You'd never let your phone get dusty. Could you imagine not checking Twitter 28 times a day? The life of Christ is an expression of God's love for you. 
certainly the death of Christ. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. The cross, that's why we put it right here, front and center, is the most profound symbol and demonstration of God's steadfast love and commitment to you and to humanity. And he rose again. He rose again so that you too might rise. Rise from a life of self and sin to a redemptive life of Christ and of love. As we seek the heart of God in these next weeks, I pray that you would tether yourself to his steadfast love. Not only for the effects it will have on your life, it will profoundly change you, but also for the effects it will have on the world we live in and the church that we worship at and the mission of God in this community. Be transformed by his love. Stand with me today. I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to open your heart in a fresh way to receive and actively say yes to God. Lord, thank you for your love. And I also want to ask you to do this, to offer yourself as an access point to the world. Say, Lord, let the world see your love through me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you this morning because there's no one like you. Not in heaven above, not in earth below. God, as we even pause to look at these few verses, for the Bible, cover to cover, is filled with your expression of love. God, as we look at these few verses, we're struck again by your heart and what it means that you're a God of steadfast love. Lord, I pray that, God, you would fill us with that love afresh. Anyone here lacking that or not knowing that, I, I, just, I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just throw open wide the doors of our heart, that we might receive the love of God in Christ Jesus. That this incredibly redeeming, transforming, profoundly life-changing love of God, Lord, might fill us. And I pray, O oh God, don't let us keep it, but cause it to spill out to the world in which we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.